I um, have been uh, moving around in which verses from Revelation 21 I would read today. It is a long chapter with all kinds of stuff going on. I want to choose the verses that make most sense for us on this day. So I'm going to shorten what is in your bulletin a little bit. I'm going to read the first seven verses of the 21st chapter of Revelation and then two verses, 22 to 24. Listen for the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, and they will be God's peoples. And God himself will be with them. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And then later, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and the Lamb is its lamp, and the lamp is its lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. If I were a television writer, I don't think I'd particularly want the assignment of writing the final episode for a long-running series. Too much hanging on it. And at least as far as I'm concerned, they rarely deliver. They just try too hard. Okay, the final episode of MASH was pretty good. The final episode of Seinfeld? The jury's still out. I could mention others and we could take some votes, but I think that would be distracting from the task at hand today. But we can admit that final sermons risk a similar disappointment, at least if they're expected to be like a final episode. 
But the good thing about a sermon like this is that it doesn't have to be like a final episode. Because in the same way that no sermon is ever the first word in worship, no sermon is ever the final word in worship or in ministry. A sermon is one word, always unfinished, in a long conversation. So knowing that this month was coming, some time ago I, I felt moved to shape the weeks between Christmas and today in a certain way. I'm so happy that we could begin those weeks with testimonies from members of the church I cherish. And then hear a sermon from a preacher I dearly cherish, Will Willimon. And I decided to give a more personal word the week before this final week, rather than this week. So this week could look beyond a little bit. I thought that might be a little easier, at least for me. So last week I left this pulpit and I stood on the chancel steps. And from those steps, I told you some personal stories from places that I found myself serving over these past 40 years of ministry, and you were kind to listen. And so this week, as promised, I'm back in the pulpit. And I'm in the pulpit because I believe in the pulpit and its meaning for preaching. I don't think, like some people do, that the pulpit is a place of authority or distance. Quite the contrary. I think the pulpit is a kind of witness stand in a trial of truth that the preacher doesn't control. No witness in a trial determines the trial's final outcome. The witness isn't the judge, is not the prosecutor or the defender. She is a witness pointing, accounting, telling a story in response to a question. On this stand, a preacher can say, look there, or consider this, or this I believe and let me tell you why, or this I'm not so sure about, but the church is. And I I need to tell you that in all of the pulpits that I've been privileged and humbled to preach in over 40 years, I can honestly say that this particular pulpit in which I'm privileged to stand today is easily the most welcoming and the most generous, and I think maybe the most powerfully symbolic of all of those pulpits over 40 years. I can see every one of your faces in this pulpit. <laughs> I can move, I can pound, I can pivot. Really, it's a great place. I think on, on the top, there's enough room for two pieces of paper, a Bible, a bulletin, a watch, so I can be reminded, a, a block that has the prayer, pray, I pray each time before I preach as a reminder also. Underneath, there is some water, there's some old bulletins that should be thrown away, there's some paper clips and some lozenges and some tissues, all kinds of stuff under there. Come on up and take a look at some point. 
But it's not all of that that makes this pulpit extraordinary. It's also the whole area of this worship space. The tree right here with its roots going down both into the word here and the waters of baptism as it becomes the cross with its own story and the windows all around it that you can see transparent to the world. When Bishop Williman called this sanctuary one of the most extraordinary worship spaces in North America, he wasn't exaggerating. This space joins so much of our tradition in, in its symbolism speaking. For so much of our faith is communicated by symbols. And this space, in many ways, is a sermon in itself. And here we are, thinking about being back in the pulpit this week. I, I called my dear friend David Wood, who began our preaching series this fall, last August. I called him to chat about my preparation. He asked me if I had looked at the first sermon that I preached from this pulpit. Why would I do that, I asked him. I think I was afraid I'd be embarrassed. But he insisted that I should, and so I did. And there it was. Words about this space and how it caught my attention from the very start. 2009 was a while ago. Many of you here this morning weren't here then. I preached uh, that day from one of Paul's letters where he admits that the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I told you all that sometime before I ever put my name into the search for your second senior pastor, I happened upon your website. I was stunned by the image of the cross and the sanctuary, I told you. The image alone enticed me to read on, and the more I did, the more I caught a sense of the congregation in front of it. Your sense of yourself and each other, your anticipation of the future, the breadth of your ministry, and your great story. I kept reading, and I kept going back to that cross. Any congregation that can see itself in that kind of image must be an unusual place, I thought. And here we are today. You are an unfinished congregation, I said. And I am most certainly an unfinished pastor. And we stand together facing this unfinished cross. This tree of desert ironwood fashioned by the artist Sam Terry, this tree rooted in desert stones making its way to heaven, reaching and stretching and unfinished, this ironwood which is meant to remind us how hard it can be for us to change as we become hardened to God's touch. It points to the power of God to transform and to inspire and to make a way out of no way. Isn't that what we see as the hard wood becomes soft, polished African walnut? 
I notice the gap also, and you do too, between the hard and the soft, between the rough and the polished places, and deep inside that gap you can see texture, the texture that is the Holy Spirit filling the empty space between who we are and who God sees us to be. Here is an image of what we undergo with Christ. Here is an image of our hope. Here is an image of two outstretched arms to hold us like a loving mother. These are arms that stretch around us and make us a people, I wrote. This cross is for children, close to the waters of baptism at its roots. This cross is for youth, learning to understand who you are as followers of Christ. It is for adults as we become more and more aware of that gap in between and more and more grateful for the spirit who holds it together. I would say exactly the same thing today. In fact, I think I just did. Except that today I can fill those symbols with memories. Memories of our ministry together through these years. Memories of how you lived these ideas. Memories of how we have been church together, not just here in this space, but well beyond this space. And so I thank my friend for pushing me back to that old sermon. And with it in mind, I went again to the scripture that I had chosen for today. And I saw there a deep resonance, as if today is just another view of what has been here all along. The passage read in your hearing is from the book of Revelation. With all of its visions and of battles and judgment and strange doings, Revelation might not seem to be the go-to text for a day like this. But it is the final book of our Bible. It is the final episode of Scripture. And it ends pretty wonderfully with an image that I have always found inspiring. Even though it doesn't mention the cross specifically, this ending tells me why the cross and all it teaches is so central to Christian faith. And like at the very beginning of the Bible, Revelation 21 is also a story of creation. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, first verse of the Bible, and here in the end, the same love that made all things at that beginning remakes all things, mends all things, heals all things, recreates. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first now passed away in Revelation 21. And coming down from that heaven is a new Jerusalem, a new city, a new way of living, a new hope for all people, a new Eden filled by that love that made all things, wiping away every tear giving life, not death, 
mourning and crying and pain no more. It is a beautiful symbol. But the key to it, I think, is how the one who is seeing it in that story knows that it is a vision of hope. And that is because he hears a voice speaking. A voice that comes from a throne. Okay, another symbol. So stay with me here. This is a throne on which sits the Lamb of God, the one who sees all of our lives in the story of eternity, the good of our lives as well as the bad, the hurting moments as well as the beautiful moments. This is the throne of the one who died on a cross and who yet brings new life. Many read this as a story of judgment, with the good rewarded and the bad condemned. I do not read it that way. Just as I do not see the cross as a place of division, I read this as a story of salvation. Because the true power here is not the power to condemn, it is the power to heal. Not hopelessness, but promise and tenderness and sacrifice. For as I think about how symbols work in all of Scripture, from the Bible's beginning to the Bible's ending, I am convinced that this new Jerusalem that is descending down from heaven is the image of a crown descending on the head of the one sitting on the throne. The edges of the crown being the walls of the city of the new Jerusalem. And you heard his voice from that throne. It is done, he says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of life. The true ruler of life is the loving, reaching, suffering, healing, teaching, saving servant of all who we call Christ, who died on the cross and is raised in the strength of love for all creation. Judgment is temporary and weaker than it thinks. Love is eternal and stronger than we know. I can't read scripture and not conclude that in the end, as in the beginning, all that harms and all that hurts and all that destroys will be resolved by that love. And all who yearn and all who wonder and all who wander will be directed toward that love. And all who mourn and all who regret and all who worry will be comforted in that love, Christ's Love, taught to us by the cross, discoverable in our lives, lived in all our humanness, in the church. Light, bread, wine, water, word, touch, prayer, song, mercy, 
justice, change, forgiveness, hope. In all things, through all things, for all things, now and forever, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, all in all, in every moment of our lives, in every nook and cranny of the world. How can we live if this is not true? I've often been asked why I went into the ministry. For years, I mumbled around with different sorts of answers that I thought made sense to people. Helping people in the faith, building community, changing the world, the Presbyterian pension plan, <laughs> which means a lot right now. But there was only one response that was ever accurate, really, and that was this. I went to the ministry, and by God's grace stayed in ministry because I believe to my bones that the story we tell of this one who is all and all, who made us and redeems us, this story is true. And that even when we mess it up, and we mess it up all the time, at its heart, it is the best description we have of what is. So I thank you for showing me this truth in so many ways. In the moments that we have worshipped together and questions you've asked about what God might want for the world, in things that you've done to help other people and make change, in your enthusiasm, in stories you tell, in tearful goodbyes at gravesides or during prayer in hospital rooms, in sacrificial giving and beautiful generosity, in classrooms, in committee meetings, in pilgrimages and on work trips, with changed and changing hearts, hearing Jesus together. It has been my sweet and undeserved privilege to stand with you all for these few years. You have blessed me and my family. And I am grateful beyond words to know that your witness will continue telling the story, doing the work, and pointing to the one who makes all things new, ending and beginning. Next week, right here, the conversation continues. <laughs>